everybody. It's the Two Versus Two podcast, episode one. I'm your host, Grant Roberts. Uh, I am the lead. <laughs> that would be great every time if I could get that. I think I'll hire people to come in and do it. Yeah, just oh, record that, and I think you'll be all right. Yeah, no, I'll record this half-hearted applause from across the room. Um, I'm, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm Grant Roberts. I'm the lead content designer of The Amazing Society. I am the host. My co-host, of course, is Joe Caruso. Hi, Joe. Hi there, sir. Uh, yeah, nice transition. I, I, I have absolutely no uh, game development job, which is sort of the point. <laughs> well done. Hey. Um, our guest this week, first off uh, on the couch in front of me, uh, is Drew Staltman. I Hello. offer no further introduction. I'll let him introduce himself if he likes. My name is Drew Staltman. I am a senior gameplay engineer at Gas Powered Games. That's it. Good. All right. All then. right. And on the other couch, or the love seat, uh, is uh, Lake Chappelle. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, I, should I say something about myself? You I guess? certainly can. Please do. Oh. Please let the world know what you can do. Oh, that's exciting. Um, I can, uh, well, okay, uh, professionally, I, uh, I'm a tester, um, and I also uh, write music. Uh, <laughs> what is this? Um, I that's kind of my uh, profession in the working uh, or prof- profession in the making, um, but uh, sort of in the process. Uh, I right now I'm working on some stuff for local dance uh, performances here in Seattle, uh, modern dance stuff, um, and uh, I currently have you know website with all kinds of music on it, and uh, yeah. It's, what I do in my time that I'm not playing games. You could certainly plug that if you want. Uh, yeah, it's uh, woodlandalien.com. Um, it's Woodland Alien Music, as the URL would suggest. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's good stuff. You should check it out. Cool. Now, Grant, yes. do you feel that, that his, his uh, I suppose, part-time occupation or current occupation as a tester, does that make this the one versus three podcast? See, that's the thing. I mean, I don't think that being a tester should dif- disqualify you from being on the gaming side <laughs> of it, but if I okay. disqualify all the people that I know and all the people that Virginia knows, Virginia's my fiance. hi, Virginia, uh, all the people that she knows uh, who play video games, a lot of them are testers, and if we excluded them, then that would leave a very, very small <laughs> roster of non, uh, non-developer now, I'm very willing to accept that, but does that mean <laughs> that we can now make your career shorter? No, I don't approve of that. Does this invalidate <laughs> your experiences as a tester? What Joe uh, is referring to is that I got my start in this business as a tester back in 1999, and mm. uh, now I am not a tester anymore. But Congratulations. What do you do? <laughs> I, uh, I write things and design things. I, okay. I'm, I'm, I design content. So yeah, Drew is uh, playing the latest Katamari uh, thing on his phone. What is that called, Drew? <laughs> it's not the latest Katamari oh. because the latest Katamari came out on PS3. But this is a Katamari for the iPhone. What and is it, it called? I've heard it's kind of bad. It's called Katamari Light. <laughs> and he had to end it to tell us what it is. That's that. Thank you, Drew, for for showing us the respect to end the game to tell us what the game is called. <laughs> you know. You do what you do. The shrug doesn't read on the podcast. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> so, so we got the uh, the the short version of what Leif does. Uh, Drew, what do you do? 
So I am a senior gameplay engineer at Gas Powered Games. Currently, I'm working on Supreme Commander 2. Uh, I am right now in the middle of working on our skirmish artificial intelligence systems so that if you play the non-story-driven mode, you can play against some bots, basically. Or in multiplayer, you and some friends can play against the bot. Um, so that's currently what I'm working on. Uh, I do pretty much everything there, though. Um, I've on the Supreme Commander engine. I'm one of the longest tenured engineers, so there's very little in the gameplay world of that engine that I can't work on. So I don't know what else to say. Right on. And uh, Drew and I met at Gas Powered Games when I worked on Supreme Commander for two months, and he was kind of put in charge of teaching all of us dumb level designers how to make an RTS level. So, yes, that went well. Yeah. <laughs> Cybern 2 came out great, Grant. Almost as good as Space Siege. Sure. That's not yeah, I'm wondering I, how often Space Siege is going to come up while you do this. <laughs> Hopefully not that much. Uh, I'm hoping. I, I, I think Space Siege is a great product, and everyone should thing gas powered games did a great you know like we could have done better with it we all know that but it was still a good product that's that'll be the last we speak of, of uh, space siege on this podcast <laughs> um in the, in the interest of my sanity so uh yeah drew we'll we'll go backwards here and uh drew how did you uh how did you get your start in this business uh after college, I applied to a number of places. I have a computer science, a bachelor of science in computer science degree. Uh, I applied to a number of game studios as well as just regular software companies. Uh, a friend of mine who currently still works at Gaspard Games worked there and helped hook up an interview for me, which is generally how many of the, how I got started in the industry stories go. That's true. Mm. And... So I got an interview through him, and I actually didn't get the job, but I felt good enough that I moved from Texas to here. And then two months after I moved here, they hired me, and it's been pretty cool since. Right on. So I, uh, how did you uh, get started at Nintendo Life? Is there any, any kind of story to that? Um, well, I had, after college, because I went to... Cornish uh, College of the Arts for two years, or for, not two years. I was sorry. I'm, I'm my brain is addled right now. I just came from work, so um, I'm still in the land of of finding wrong things. Um, <laughs> Cornish for four years, and after that, I spent two years attempting. Uh, not well, it was not quite two years. Maybe a year and a half uh, attempting to freelance, uh, doing music um, just as my sole thing. And um, I wrote music for um, two little tiny uh, strategy, ga strategy games, um, or more like uh, war games. Uh, they're uh, served by this um, set of uh, developers that make really niche uh, PC war games. Um, uh, one was, you know, uh, Gary Goodsby's The Operational Art of War 3, and uh, the other was some sort of thing with the word war mentioned maybe five or six times in it. Um, and so I, I had a uh, friend that I met um, through going to Game Developers Conference. They live in Australia, and he had me write some music for this. 
that was working out great, but it didn't really do anything else other than just that. So I realized that I needed to get a study job while I worked on getting uh, you know contacts built up and all that, and looked on Monster.com and found uh, a contract position at Nintendo. And uh, so I applied to that, got hired, and I've been there for over two years now. So do you... Uh how long did it take you to do the the music for those other two? Are these two games that you're talking about, are those indie games? Or are they, like, commercially released um, on the shelf or what? Well, I've heard of the well, operational the, art of war. Yeah. I mean, they're commercially released, just really tiny. Like, I'm not sure. Like, you, you definitely could not go into a store right now and find it very easily unless it was some sort of bizarre, like, bottom-of-bargain-bin type thing, probably. Well, you, can't pre- um, you pretty much can't find any PC games in a store at all true. anyway. True true you can buy them like online on their website i think it's like matrix games something something oh so these yeah. are like the strategy first people and yeah uh, yeah yeah i know those games they actually show up at geek conventions and try to hawk those things oh yeah i'm sure i'm, <laughs> I'm sure they're all over the place you know trying to get people to pay attention to these games uh, I'm, yeah there's I'm, like I, a there's like a 30 year old wargaming convention that's held in um columbus every year mm. and they show up with a huge booth like every you know, every single year. Right on. Yeah. Um, so chances are you'll, you know, if you actually find one of these obscure games, um, you can go to the World War One levels in Operational Art of War and hear my music. Uh, <laughs> and then there's like, I think maybe three or four other composers on that project because it just kind of got, you know, here's... It's sort of more, it's kind of a, a charity thing for guys that like myself that are trying to write music for games and just wanted wanted to write something that would be in a game. So it wasn't really much of a hands-on process with the developer at all. It was more of we need tracks for these eras, and then we're going to plug in the music and ship it. So, so if you're writing <laughs> World War One music, are you actually writing like music from 1915 or trying to emulate some sort of style from that time? It was kind of a push and pull between whether I wanted to sound completely authentic to the time and whether or not I just wanted to sort of go with, you know, something that would evoke um, stylistically, you know, what you know what was going on, you know, in the war at that time. For myself, I picked a. Uh, just a certain battle uh, from World War One, and uh, just decided to go with you know kind of trying to write music for that battle um, as I would have like heard it. So it wasn't really emulating music of that time period, but sort of going for a thematic type of thing. So what do you have like a favorite composer in the video game industry that's not Jeremy Soule? <laughs> is he the the one that everyone goes to? Yeah, pretty much. Ah, uh, well, he does write big, beautiful, epic lyric, fantasy worlds, um, and then also, you know, not big, beautiful, epic fantasy worlds when he's working on uh, on Supreme Commander. So um, yeah, he's 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 pretty uh, he's pretty con- he's pretty popular. Yeah, yeah, especially here in Seattle. Um, he's you know him and and Marty O'Donnell are sort of the big dogs. Yeah, it's true. Um, and, you know, they, they do amazing stuff. Um, I'm, like, my personal bias lies along, you know, uh, a lot of Japanese composers, just because that's what I had while, when I was growing up. Sure. That's what I, I listen to a lot of, and a lot of game fans, you know, do also. So it's kind of 
not surprising there, but I you know try to at least uh, pick pick things that aren't you know your your typical like you know Final Fantasy you know Chrono Trigger stuff. You know, I mean that's very well regarded and gets orchestral performances of it all the time worldwide now, which is awesome. I think that's great. Um, there's you know some more obscure stuff out there. Um, uh, like Masashi Hamauzu, uh, is one of my favorite composers. He's ri- he's probably the best composer to write for the worst games. Um, well, didn't he also? I know he was one of the three guys that did music for Final Fantasy X, right? Yeah, you know that was sort of his big break, and after that, he got a lot of projects that were kind of like, okay, well, um, we're making another saga game. It's called a limited saga. Want to give it a shot? And that didn't work out so well game wise but the music was beautiful it's one of my favorite soundtracks whereas you know oh we're doing um an offshoot of final fantasy 7 uh this will this will be great um it's starring a character that's optional um and is a <laughs> third person shooter <laughs> that's interesting because uh that may tie into the topic that that we we may get into <laughs> later uh, I th- uh-huh. I, the two games you're referring to are uh, of course uh dirge of cerberus which yes was kind of uh not very. It wasn't very good. No, it was entertaining. Uh, you know, kind of watching the, watching it play out, but not so much of the playing it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I only know that game is a subject of mockery. You know, on other podcasts and that sort of thing. Which is unfortunate because there's some elements that went into it, like the music, that I thought were exceptional. But you can't judge it based on just you know some little elements of it. It's the whole thing that matters. So it just didn't really. Turn out that well, well. Square also has a very weird way of telling their like side stories that are happening in between, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Final Fantasy VII and things like that. Just of it, like the Final Fantasy X two or X two or however you pronounce it, and Ooh, uh, yeah. Crisis Core and uh, hey, say what you will about X two, but uh, every every exactly well every <laughs> you know of course that's what you can, you can say that I like <laughs> well, it's funny when when he said. When he used a word that referred to females, um, I, I thought he was about to say that, <laughs> that they liked that game. Um, and that's true. Like, uh, I have friends who are nerds and play RPGs who are girls, and really? they were totally into the, like, oh, my <laughs> God, your up? costume determines what you do. Really? Oh, my God, yeah. I put on a new dress, and I have new powers, and this is really cool. And well, they're, so like, you... transformation sequences, and they're into <laughs> See, it. See, that so. just shows how out of touch I am with, I guess, the, the, the distaff gaming population, I suppose, <laughs> in that I, I would have thought that the reaction to that would have been, I can't believe that. Oh, how patronizing? Yeah, exactly. Oh, they're so like skimpy, you know. Well, uh, they're not portraying women well. Uh. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure there was a comment or two about that outfit's ridiculous, whatever. And of <laughs> course, of course, you hear that all the time about, yeah. uh, and that's why we have to have girls on this podcast, Grant, so they can talk I just, about stuff. I want to point out that I point out when I play that game that those costumes are ridiculous, and I'm a dude. And if <laughs> I right. think that that shit's ridiculous, then clearly women can't all be up and out about it. In fact, I believe Virginia didn't like it. Well, I that was, I think, the the first Final Fantasy game that I showed her was Final Fantasy Oh, II, because that's a good first impression right there. Other ones, and she was like, what the hell is this? And, <laughs> and I said that the entire time that I was playing it, so she's not too far off base. See, mm. it might be because the girls I'm talking about are more in my, like, niche geek community, yeah, sure. and so they're used to these, like, ridiculous anime costumes and all oh, that kind of crap. Yeah. They get exposed to that kind of stuff pretty well. Oh, yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're already... Uh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's cool. 
Yeah, if you're already, you know, in introduced to that sort of thing as a norm, then I suppose it's not as surprising. Um, because, yeah, yeah it, there's, there's some interesting uh, anime <laughs> outfits out there as well. The idea of the, of the almost nude transformation sequence is not really that unusual or necessarily misogynistic in that community. Well, Nor if we're going to talk about misogyny, I think we have to bring up Ninja Gaiden Sigma's boob controls. Oh, yeah. I've heard conflicting <laughs> reports. As no, I don't know anything about this. I don't know if they actually shipped with it. Like, didn't I see, I, saw, I thought I saw something on Kotaku that was like, no, this didn't actually make it into the game. Well, mm. all I saw was you take the six axis and you shake it, and then the boobies shake, <laughs> and that's like Holy the crap. most horrible and amazing thing ever. Well, and also <laughs> I I think when I was looking at like images of it just to see and videos of it to see what the hell was going on, all the just to see just just, just for research purposes, um, right. all the they were showing it from like the floor of TGS and like all of the guys who were playing it had this deadly serious expression on their face like this is probably the most important thing I'll ever do in a video game is shake these boobs. This is fascinating. <laughs> Tell me more. Where is this? Like TGS? A Tokyo Game Show. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. I, that's, yeah. what, that's what you said it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's TGS. I mean, I I wouldn't expect normal human behavior at TGS. I went to TGS uh, back in 2007 and found it to be really boring. Hmm. Like it, <laughs> like it wasn't. I mean, the place like was, how so? the place was half empty, and a lot of the games, like there was a huge line for Squares booth. Of course, there was a huge line for uh, I don't like one of the Bomberman things. But a lot for the most part, it was just it was really. Maybe we went on the wrong day or something, but it was just really cleared out, and there didn't seem to be that much passion going on. Especially, I when doubt it because this was a thirty-minute or maybe hour hour of content on the giant bombcast over the last three weeks. Is how much that show sucks now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what year was that? Two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Yeah. Yeah. No. I don't. Two thousand six. Oh shit! I don't remember. Well. I think one of the important things to think about, though, with that is if it's in this current console generation, then the Tokyo Game Show hasn't been able to, like, the, the Japanese games in the last few years have definitely fallen yeah, off. No, there's, totally not near, there's not nearly as many. Um, there's the quality. I, I don't know that the quality has gone down. There's just a lot less of them now. Like, you know, Atlas is brings in... A huge amount of games, but well, I also think that the uh, the Japanese developers, especially I mean the big ones, are developing for the global market now, not for Japan. Hang on a second, I think we're having more technical difficulties here. Did you mute yourself again? Yeah, Leif just blue screened. Um, we'll be right back. So, uh, what has everybody been playing lately besides the latest, uh, the not at all latest Katamari game on their iPhone? You better pick somebody. Yeah, I guess oh. so. Uh, Leif, what have you been playing lately? Uh, yeah, I've been sucked into MMO land with uh, the recently released Ion. Oh. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I actually like it. Um, it's, it's very enjoyable um, in a way that Korean MMOs have never been, um, mainly because it's not here you are in this world you will get killed at any time, and you must play for approximately 
you know, 25 years before you're going to see anything neat. <laughs> and from the outside looking in, that's pretty much what I think Korean MMOs are. Right. And sort of the perspective that a lot of people have sort of brought to Ion, uh, from, you know, just kind of looking out or looking in on the game. So like, oh, it's another Korean MMO. It's going to be another grind fest. I'm not interested. But it's, it's, you know, I, I, for what it is, it's not an amazing MMO, but it's a competent one um, in a way that surprised me. And it's visually gorgeous or orally gorgeous. Um, and uh, it plays pretty well, too. <laughs> Drew, as the only other person here who's actually played it, do you agree with that? It is a MMO. It uh, is. It's... Well, the, one of the things about it that I find more most interesting is the Western release of the game is different than the Korean and Asian market releases, where the Korean and Asian market has a more grindfest feel to it. But they rebalanced it to release it in the West to make it more WoW-like. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know too much about the original releases of it. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I just read that on some place somewhere at, I don't know, Kotaku or Joystick or something like that. Fair enough. It would make sense, though, considering that they want this to succeed in the West, and what better way than to make it like, wow, because that seems rather successful, I think. Do either of you guys think <laughs> it'll have any actual staying power beyond a few months, or what? Mm, depends. It's getting kind of a negative vibe at the moment, um, just because there's an over... well, maybe not the sole reason, but there's an overwhelming amount of gold sellers peddling their wares in basically every single way possible. Um, like, gold sellers have been around for a while now, and they know their shit, and, which is unfortunate for us because they're on every single channel, like chat channel, spamming their stuff. They're sending tells to people. They're um, sending mail messages to people. They are pretending they are LFG and doing a forced return um, with some sort of, you know, uh, thing to, like, make you believe it's some system uh, chat thing telling you to go to a website and redeem something and they'll scam you and take your account and money. And it's just really dirty. And I guess I didn't think it would be that bad that fast. Yeah, I didn't either. And it's kind of discouraging when you're playing it and you're just, like, you, it's you have to just block out all forms of public communication and just rely on your guild, you know, as any sort of communication, which is kind of unfortunate considering they designed it to have these, you know, commutative or, you know, communal ways of talking to each other. And it's just kind of getting overrun by something that was not intentional, which is unfortunate. Drew, have you actually played it in the last, since the last time I saw it on your laptop? Yeah. I have. All right, then. <laughs> uh, I, I don't... I, the game essentially feels like WoW with wings at times. And, mm -hmm. it, and the at times is referring to the wings part, not the WoW part. It's very much a World of Warcraft-like game. Uh, they added wings, and you can do some things while you're flying, whereas in WoW you just get from point A to point B while flying. Mm -hmm. uh, the gold selling thing is definitely a problem. Um, it's I I know some people that work at NCSoft, and that is an issue that they've been trying to wrestle with with the community is the perception of that they're not doing enough about the gold farming because 
if you log on right now on any server, you will just get spammed in every channel immediately. Yep. Which which is funny because originally it wasn't a problem because I guess you have to be level two or level three or something like that to speak in a channel. Mm-hmm. And the gold farmers hadn't quite figured that out yet. But since the last time I played, they definitely figured that out, and they're spamming every channel incessantly. So do you think mm-hmm. it's bad enough that it's going to actually like actively prevent new players from... Or do you think it's going to turn them off to the point where they won't play it? I, I think it could, because you have to know how to block them. And if you don't yeah. know how to block their channel, then or block specific people, then... All you're seeing constantly is, you know, a character named XHFFFHI yeah. selling gold. Well, not, well the f- yeah, unfortunate is, part is... Mm. No, this is me coming in as the gamer guy and just saying, sure. yeah, I mean, if you guys said to me right now, this game is awesome and we really enjoy playing it, but there's this, this unfortunate thing with gold farmers, I'd be like, well, I, I probably won't play that game. Yeah, um, the unfortunate thing is going back to what uh, Drew's talking about. You know, if, even if you block them, you know, if you know how to do that, all they're doing is just making new characters. You know, every you know, like hour or even less than that, and I guess grinding to level five and doing their thing. Well, that doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement from anybody here. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, well, I think the biggest negative the game has for me is that it very much is wow um i don't i don't dislike wow at all i i've played i have a level 80 in wow um and i really like ion quite a bit but it's one of the the commitment that i have to make when i'm playing that game is do i want to play wow again and i'm not really excited about cataclysm the thing that excite me about wow or the cataclysm is that they're redoing everything. So the game, when you play it again, it's going to be fresh and new and different. And I think that's awesome. That's something that, for me, MMOs lack in that I don't like a really static game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, do you when want I heard to play about that, that again? I was shocked. I was, too. I, I was completely floored because the, the amount of resources to redo the entire landmass of whatever yeah. that land's called, is, yeah. that's just intense. Well, yeah, and they said, yeah, we're we're remaking like Desolus into like a, a green verdant place, and it'll be totally different, and be for a different level range, and have all different mm-hmm. quests and NPCs, and we're doing that for basically every single area. I uh, I mean, they're essentially making a new MMO, and it's free too. the The yeah. eighty one to eighty five content is the only part that's not free, hmm. and that's the most impressive thing. Well, I mean. I think it's honestly something that other companies should do more often. Like, but can other companies afford to do that? That's the Wait, thing. really? It's free. They're not. They're, they're not deploying those art assets on the on a disc. No, no. They have to have a download only because if people want to continue playing, they're they're not going to splinter them into their own world. So the barons yeah. has to be the same for everybody. I really thought though they might just say, if you want to keep playing, you have to buy this. <laughs> it's a, a money gate. I, I, they might have been able to get away with that a few years ago, but now I, I, I get the feeling that, that a lot of people will, whether it's justified or not, draw the line at having to buy something else to proceed, you know? I see. I think it's not that big a barrier because if you're playing WoW now mm-hmm. and you care when this comes out, then you know you're you're, you're going to buy it anyway. Yeah, of I course. Mean, I mean, the number a... of people who are out there playing WoW without the last two expansions, but are playing anyway, has to be incredibly low. I don't even Why know do... if it, if how that works technically at this point. I'm, I well, 
I don't know. I don't. I think it's really easy to have an account and not play it and still pay for it. Because I've done that many times. Same here. <laughs> and so, so I mean, it's one of those things that if you're going to have a a game where it's like, hey, everybody has to buy this to keep paying your subscription fee, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> all those idle accounts quit paying their subscription fee. I mean, I'm not saying it's more than like a few percent, but still, a few percent of 11 million is a lot of money. Yeah, and it's true. And like you said, we've all done that. Like everybody's done that for a couple months. Like, well, mm-hmm. maybe I'll play some more. Uh, <laughs> I'll keep it on for another month. You know. From my perspective, yep. I'm not. Uh, Virginia keeps uh, keeps wanting to try to go back. Although we finally did cancel our our subscriptions recently, but she would go back every few months and be like, "No, I just want to try to farm herbs for a while. Maybe we'll, don't, don't you want to play again?" I'm like, "No, because uh, we're only level sixty, whatever, and to get from here to where we would want to see the cool content, it's just nothing but." grinding on quests and while yeah. Warcraft does that better than a lot of other MMOs I don't really have any interest in doing that so I'm I'm on sabbatical until Final Fantasy 14 comes out at which point I'll have to abort the podcast because I'm not I, going back yeah I'm glad that at least someone else that I know is uh, excited for that cuz I've been trolling for information on that since it was basically announced. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Grant, all you have to do is convince my wife, because you know all I ever do is follow her from MMO That's to MMO. That's a good point. That's a good point. How is, uh, how, are you still playing Champions? I am still playing Champions, but it's huh? it's a very different uh, MMO experience for me. So, it really is. You know, I played, Grant, of course, knows this, but other people do not. When we met, mm. uh, we used to play MUDs way um, back in the text, you know, MMO days. I'm and we about. actually... We actually, like, coded together on one for a while. And then, uh, you know, I gave up that kind of crap for a while and did end up coming back when all my friends were playing WoW. Now, uh-huh. I didn't play the original vanilla WoW. I came in, like, at the second expansion or right, or I mean the first expansion or right before it and ended up, of course, running a raiding guild with my wife. Uh-huh. And so that, of course, did not do great things for the rest of our lives so we stopped (laughs) and we moved on to Lord of the Rings online because some of my other friends were playing that and that was fun and it was more casual and everything but it had some real problems with it so I kind of got bored and she continued to play and then Champions Online came out and so we're now playing that she was a closed beta tester she's super into it Um, but we're just playing it really casually like, we're not trying to become part of a guild. We're not trying to hit the end game. Like, I've been playing for, what, four weeks now, and I'm level 27. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like for an MMO to succeed in this day and age, it has to be able to support the kind of play style that you're talking about, right? I mean, if... Well, see, there's there's two... I think there's two different worlds between support that play style and actually make that play style engaging. Because right. you can do that in WoW... And it's boring as hell. Mm-hmm. The best way to have fun in WoW is to actually like do the content and run with a guild and, and have fun with all the crap that they've put in there. And really, if you're killing boars and that's your thing in WoW, it's going <laughs> to be incredibly boring. And I think that I haven't really passed judgment on how well Champions does that yet. Um, mm-hmm. I know that there's a lot of crap in there just for superhero nerds, and so that is helping. I mean, well, to the point where mean? last Give me week, an example of that. Okay, I'll give you the best examples. So, 
first, everybody needs to realize that I'm a huge comic book nerd, and also that I run a role-playing game for a group of my friends that has been going for eight years now. Wow. Uh, which is a superhero game set in the Marvel Universe. Huh. So we have a group of friends, and I, I've probably had 15 people that I know come in and out of this game. We have a group of friends who have all made superhero characters that mean a huge amount to them. You know, they've been playing them for years. And so all my friends are in Champions Online making their dude. And so they have all these, like, old stories that have been told about their character, and they're very attached to them. And one of the things that Champions Online does is when you hit level 25, you can make a nemesis. And then that dude shows up and screws with you throughout the game. And he is... You design his appearance, his power set, like what kind of a villain he is. Like, is he a big, smashy face, angry guy, or is he like a mastermind who plans, you know, and is really smart and Please all that kind of crap? You named your smashy face, angry guy. No, no, I did not. <laughs> oh. um, <laughs> but so, missed opportunity. Uh, I, I am actually playing the game as one of the villains that has been in my game, mm. and so I made one of the players who hates that villain, my nemesis. Hmm. And so I have sent out, I sent out a like nine screenshot storyboard of my nemesis messing with me and talking about how smart he is and like blowing shit up and sent that out to my play group. And everybody was like, oh my God, that's so awesome. It's so close to the way he would actually act. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh well, that's such a that's such a total edge case for how this for for the the type of people that must be playing this. You know, like I, I, yeah, I don't know what percentage. Just how dirty people are who want to be in a superhero MMO. I, I guess, think. but I mean, I, you are just way out on the edge of the cliff there. <laughs> well, you know that. I mean, I'm a very niche perspective on video games. Yes, that's, that's true. It's just what I am. <laughs> so is that. In the interest of uh, of maintaining some kind of grip on the agenda, is that the only thing that you've been playing, Joe, recently, is Champions? That's No, but I have not been playing any single-player experiences. Uh, I've been playing, you know, online games that that I go back to over and over again. So I've been playing Magic Online, Champions Online. I've been playing poker. And that's pretty much what I've been doing on my computer for the past week or two. All right, then. Well, I, I mean, I would ask you about those things, but I don't know that... Uh, that... No, that, I don't think that's really compelling or interesting. <laughs> like, if we're going to talk about, like, later in your agenda, you have go-to games and why they're go-to games. And so I think, you know, there's some interesting things to say about that. But when we're talking about what have you been playing, I think you're mainly talking about new games or single-player experiences or whatever. Yeah, pretty much. But, I mean, uh, when I have uh, Nick Davidson on, who I share an office with, and he's my boss right now at uh, the Amazing Society, he is used to work at Wizards of the Coast, has quite a lot to say about, about magic. So uh, we'll, we'll have that at one point, and I'll go make a sandwich while you guys are talking about the ins and outs of, uh, <laughs> of tapping and, and land and... That's all I got. Now, at one point, you have to have my wife on just because she has been playing a bunch of bizarre shit that is weird and and very niche as well. It yes. is single player. We will have that. that. That's going to be talking about indie stuff, <laughs> and we're going to do that at some point. I just don't know when yet, but that's that's upcoming. So, uh, Drew Stoltman. He raised yes. his fist. That doesn't, that doesn't <laughs> play on the podcast. Uh, what have you been playing? I cut out, didn't I? No. No, you're sure. Sorry, no excuse. 
Son of a bitch. <laughs> um, well, quite honestly, I'm kind of in the holding and wait pattern for the upcoming release deluge of games. Uh, yeah, starting next week. Well, I mean, I played the Brutal Legend demo. Yes, yes. I played the Forza 3 demo. I played the Dirt 2 demo. I played, uh, I don't know, a couple trials on Xbox Live Arcade. And then I actually just started playing Dead Space for the first time, too. Which is... But, I mean, there's not a whole lot new right now that I'm that interested in, excluding what's coming out next week. And then in early November, there's... uh, uh, Dragon Age. Dragon Age, and then I played Beatles as often as I can get a get a chance to, but I can't play that at home because my neighbors suck. So yeah, I it's uh, kind of contingent on uh, your brother or me, and we haven't been hosting nearly as many rock band parties as we should. <laughs> right. So like, there's this this wait between when Batman came out and basically when Brutal Legend came out that I'm kind of haven't bought anything new or I don't really plan on buying anything new. But when Brutal Legend comes out next week, I I am hopefully going to be so into that game that it holds me over until, you know, Dragon Age, which will definitely hold me over till if Baldur's Gate 2 isn't any, in the, any indication, then uh, Dragon Age will hold me over for like 12 years. So now I want to talk about Brutal Legend for a second because first of all I I know that Joe is one of the biggest fans of Tim Schafer games that I know personally but I wonder Joe if you have any awareness of this game being as how you don't follow the industry nearly as closely as I do. Well yeah and I actually have two responses to that. Uh if I'm a big fan of Tim Schafer games I don't realize it. Like, well, I what mean, games are we talking Grim about? Fandango and Full Throttle. Oh yeah. Okay. The publicity but, uh, for this game has been really interesting because hmm. Tim Schafer just had his twentieth year in the industry, like this week or last week or something. Yeah, and, last week. And then there, there's the Jack Black point of view, and then the the fact that Ozzy's in it, but Ronnie James Dio's not in it, and there's all this huge amount of well, not, I shouldn't say huge, but there is this word of mouth, at least among the the places that I find news in the industry that, that follows this game that is kind of unique to this game itself. But I wonder if, uh, the second thing I was, gonna, I was wondering about is that I just wonder if it's not going to get swallowed by Uncharted completely. And if Uncharted wasn't a, a, a PS3 exclusive, um, I, I think that Brutal Legend would be in really big trouble. Well, I, you can you can certainly say when you're saying, you know, am I excited about this game? Am I going to play it? I don't have a PS3, so <laughs> Uncharted is not going to get in my way. Yeah, sure. Uh, I also don't I also don't play console shooters. I I just don't like them um, as a control scheme. I just can't get into it. And uh, as far as Brutal Legend goes, I get excited about games at least to some extent because of the gameplay involved. And there's that game has been heavily marketed, as as you guys have said, but I don't really have a good sense about why I would want to play it from a gameplay perspective. So to me, it's just the Jack Black heavy metal game, and uh, that's not like some... If somebody said, you know, with no exposure to the game at all, hey, do you want to play a Jack Black starred heavy metal game? I'd be like, well, probably not, no. 
So I, I'm not really that interested. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the window for Jack Black Heavy Metal Game being like a universally hailed as awesome thing was a few years ago. I think he's kind of on the on the downward trajectory of his of his career and popularity, but it's still the fact that Tim Schafer is making it and that it seems to be funny would be enough to sell me ordinarily. But from everything that I've heard that game talked about, um, especially with the with the talk about the fact that there's a lot of strategy game elements to it now, and it's like with the amount of stuff that's coming out this holiday season, I don't know if I have time to play a game that is not completely awesome in the ways that I need it to be. And Uncharted, I have a feeling, is going to be. Um, and there's plenty of other things that are coming up that are going to be like Dragon Age, like uh, all the other games that I posted on my gaming blog recently. But um, <laughs> Now, I probably care about Dragon Age, right? Because that's like a computer RPG's computer RPG. They're calling is it the spiritual successor to Baldur's Gate 2. I don't know how accurate that's going to be, because I think... Um, it's using the same perspective as Mass Effect and KOTOR and things like that, so I don't know for sure, but... I hear well, you can scroll out and get top-down. Yeah, the first screenshots were very uh, Baldur's Gate-y. Um, what's interesting is, since you're talking about marketing, you know, and the marketing perspectives on uh, Brutal Legend, specifically for me, the marketing perspective on Dragon Age hasn't really been all that appealing um, to me as a potential you know, buyer of this game, I I never was really into uh, Western RPGs back, you know, back when they were, you know, the it thing, you know, the Baldur's Gate uh, games. I never really was into all of them, and I, you know, it's sort of, you know, Western RPGs is more of a new thing for me um, since I grew up with Japanese RPGs. And so, you know, I, I love me some Bioware. They do amazing games, but I'm... You know, I'm still looking at you know the stuff that they've shown of this game, and not entirely sold on it, just from you know how they're pitching it and you know what you know is all there. Um, maybe because I don't have that experience with you know their that style of older Western RPG. Right. Um, you know, is it you know is, is it are are you guys excited for it based on what you've played in the past that is of similar nature or is it I'm mainly, exclusively what uh you know they're saying hey this is dragon age I'm mainly excited because it because it seems like I other people are saying I should be um okay. I, I'm a huge fan of Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2 BioWare is one of the companies for me that will usually get my money no matter what they do um but I haven't been following Dragon Age that closely, partly because I don't like to. I like to remain unspoiled for RPGs and don't like to look at screenshots or anything. But also because they, um, the marketing for that game, like you said, has been it's been kind of difficult to get a handle on exactly what I'm supposed to think about it. Whether it's supposed to be a, a super hardcore um, Oblivion slash Baldur's Gate thing, or whether it's supposed to be a little bit more accessible to the masses and and things. Right. Like that. I mean, what I see. What I see, you know, being marketed is they're showing some cutscenes from the game. They're showing somewhat awkward-looking characters, uh, you know, just you know, in interesting situations that I think would be, you know, better in other circumstances. But just sort of the way that they're, you know, pull, you know, pulling off these characters and 
and sort of just you know I, I guess the selection of what they're showing is just kind of I like the idea of this the whole you know different storylines origins of these characters you know coming from odd places like you know being a whore and getting out of that lifestyle or something you know that's an interesting situation but then the way that they're presenting it in what they've shown so far just hasn't really piqued my interest well I, I guess we'll find out I mean I'm I'm definitely going to buy it I mean it's not even if I, I haven't been the biggest fan of of all of Bioware stuff, I you know Mass Effect showed me that they can you know they've still got it. So I feel like oh, I'm, absolutely. I'm have to buy it regardless. Um, right, and I'm you know very much looking forward to you know to uh, um, uh, sorry I <laughs> just uh, Mass, Mass Effect, Effect two. two yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I'm, you know, I love the first one and had flaws, but you know, it, the its strengths carried it for me. So yeah, I mean, I played a little bit of what they had at uh, PAX uh, a month ago, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed, you know, just kind of the way that they've embellished on that world and and you know, gameplay wise, that's looking really nice. Joe, I assume you have not uh, played Mass Effect. I, you know, I haven't. Uh, I got it from Gamefly, and it actually just sat on a shelf for a long time because I never got to it because I was really busy at that time. Yeah, I I and that. and then, like, I wanted to play something else from Gamefly, so I sent it back, and I haven't bothered to get it again. And to an extent, I kind of want to just get it for PC because I like to play games like that on the PC. I, I pretty much always prefer the PC if it's an option. So... Uh, I don't know. It's just slipped through the cracks. I don't have anything against it, and from everything I've heard, I'd probably really enjoy it because I really enjoyed Kotor, and it sounds very similar. Well, the, the um, PC version is much improved as well. They they fixed a lot of the problems they had with the UI, supposedly. Um, I've only played it on the 360, but I asked because it's probably. I, I imagine you could probably get it for ten or fifteen bucks now, and it seems like a pretty good investment for you if you like that kind of game. And interestingly, we talked about it on the first podcast, and uh, kind of got the. I kind of had other people on that conversation drop some comments about it that made me go, oh, well, I'm actually a little more interested in that now. Okay. So so I think I will eventually play it. I might not get to it before the second one comes out, at which point maybe I'll just play them both. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's probably a fun way to come at that sort of a problem. So. Well, yeah, I mean, they do have some sort of connectivity if you play the first one and have the save file. So uh, I don't yeah. know if they have that on the PC, although I can't imagine why oh. they wouldn't. But. And you know, know. How crappy, you know how crappy my memory is, Grant, so, I mean... Yeah, if you don't play within, I like, often, a week of each other, then you're screwed, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I often, you know, when I get, like, the fifth book in some long-running series, I have no idea what's going on when I pick it up. Well, you also read a bunch of really me, shitty books, too. Yeah, that's true, and I, I read, like, you know, 30 different series simultaneously, so it can be very challenging sometimes to remember what's going on in any given one when a new book comes out, but uh, certainly it's, I don't want to have to reread a book, as it were, and so it, it might be fun to just buy them both and play them both. So have we transitioned fully into, like, games that were coming out? Because it seemed like people were starting to talk about that. Well, not, that's what I was, Seems like I was actually going to ask Drew about that next, because he's been silent uh, for a minute here, and I was... You talked about the demos that you've been playing of stuff that's upcoming. Are you going to buy Dirt 2? Are you going to buy Forza 3? Are you going to buy Brutal... Are you going to buy all of these, or some of them, or what? I'm definitely going to be buying Brutal Legend. Uh, just out of... I want more games to be made that are quirky and interesting and off the beaten path. And I tend to buy a lot of games that fall into that sort of bucket. But uh, 
I don't think I will be buying Forza 3. I don't think I'll be buying Dirt 2. Uh, Forza 3 really impressed me. I'm just not like I'm just not a driving game guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last there. drive the last driving game game I bought was uh, Motorstorm, which was very fun, mm. but yeah. I only did like three courses. I think part and, of the problem maybe is that calling them driving game games, I think you may be asking for the wrong thing <laughs> at the store. <laughs> oh, but come on! Does anybody you know, on this podcast like driving games? No, I mean, I, I don't. I don't think I know anybody <laughs> who does personally. But I mean, I like Burnout a lot. Sure. Like, so I love Burnout because that game is more is like half action, half driving, and right. I loved the demo for Wheelman. And then I bought the game and was disappointed. But the demo for Wheelman was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> So you so basically really like you know arcadey type racing games you know if there's right I don't want to have to actually know how to fucking drive right like I don't even drive so it's even harder for me to get into I'm just like <laughs> what what is this what what is my character even doing I you have trouble recognizing <laughs> uh, I mean the only racing games I've ever loved were <laughs> like RC Pro Am and Mario Kart yeah sure yeah well, that's, I mean and that's the, arcadey that Burnout is kind of the natural evolution of that kind of thing mm-hmm. and, and the greatest driving game of all time is that Iron Man RC. <laughs> yes! That, yes. So you spin the wheel as fast as you can at the arcade. Yes! Iron and you get oh, 99 yeah. nitros. You just fucking pound that nitro key and turn. <laughs> Everyone our age remembers that oh, incredibly fondly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw um, Giant Bomb did a quick look on Forza today, and the racing part of it looked as unappealing to me as racing games usually do. I mean, that's just the way I'm wired, but the amount of customization yeah. and stuff that you can do to your car looked freaking amazing. See, this is yeah. why I want another mech game I can sink my teeth into, because then I get go. customization and gameplay I actually want. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> well, hopefully Mech Warrior will actually get made. <laughs> hopefully. So, um, yeah, that co- what comes out yeah. next week? Uh, is there anything besides Uncharted? Well, and- what are you into for next week? Oh, who, me? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I'm definitely buying Uncharted 2. I got... I have a question real quick. So Uncharted 2 actually comes out next week? That's what I read, yes. the 13th. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So they are marketing that really terribly if I don't know that. Well, part of the problem is that, well, it's not necessarily a problem, but I think part of the confusion for you and for me is that reviews have been coming out for it for like the last two weeks. And so it's yeah, and I don't think out. it'll suffer too much because those reviews have been lavish. Wind. They have been oh yeah. yeah, not just the scores. I mean, the amount, the language that have, that's been used in these things has been kind of alarming at how highly it's being praised. Yeah, it's over the yeah. top. But I mean, well, the first Uncharted was excellent game, and you know, it seems like they've just basically improved upon everything that was there. I loved a lot about the first Uncharted, except for kind of the core gameplay of shooting. And it sounds like mm. what they've done is made the story even better, made the performances even better, and fixed all the problems yeah. with the gameplay. So yeah, sold. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's not that much you can say about it because. That really is the narrative I've heard from everyone. There were problems with the first game, and it was great. And now mm-hmm. this one is really great because it doesn't have those problems. Yeah, I, right. I mean, I'll, I'll definitely be buying that. It took me a long time to finish the first one, but I couldn't believe how much I loved it despite its flaws once I did. So, Totally. Yeah, I just found it extremely charming. Just, I think what they did with characters in that game just, I don't know, it, it kind of blew me away just how 
you know, well, you know, represented they were, not yeah. just in, like, a cutscene format, like, you know, here's, you know, I mean, there's plenty of games that have had really good cutscenes of good characters, but actually sort of, you know, making them physically embodied in the gameplay, yeah. I think was what it really did well, even more so than just the cutscenes. Well, I don't know if you saw it or not, but if you look on the on the DVD on, like, the extras and stuff, they actually show some behind-the-scenes uh, mm-hmm. footage of it, and they actually mo-capped the, the voice actors doing the cutscenes oh, yeah. in it, and it, it added so much to the performance, you can tell. It's just like, I, I really do think that, I mean, there, there are so many games that don't really give a shit anymore about VO and about uh, writing and stuff like that. Uncharted is mm-hmm. kind of almost on another level of how good they did it. It really kind of blew me away at, at, at how consistently it, it, was, it was just awesome. So sounds to me like it's a game you would love to work on a, a game with that kind of style. Of course I would, but you know, <laughs> that's. Uh, I mean, that's kind of your pipe dream, though. Is it is a is a game that does care about its story and integrates its story to that degree? I'd like to think that that's not a pipe dream, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I brought up my uh, to to see what else I'm looking forward to. I brought up my, I brought up my gaming blog, which is games.grantrobs.com, um, and looking at it now and. There are a lot of, uh, I've bought everything on here so far. Beatles Rock Band, yes. Bar- Mario and Luigi uh, RPG for the yep. DS, the best one I've seen. It's completely awesome. Mm-hmm. Scribble Knot. Oh, really? Oh, it, I'm going to have to tell my wife about that if you oh, liked it. Oh, it's so good. The, the GBA one was great. Oh, yeah. The first DS one, I didn't really like it all. The third one is friggin', um, it's so good. Oh, my God. I second that. Um, I bought Scribble Knots. Uh, we'll get into that later, I think. Uh, Shrine is on this list. It's finally coming out this month. Uh, I've had it... Like three weeks or something, right? Yeah. I'm still going to buy it. Uh, Alpha Protocol got delayed until 2010, and that's really crappy. Yep. Uh, Way to go, Sega. (laughs) Um, I don't know that that's honestly that crappy, mainly um, because there's so many games coming out that... It, I think it was going to get lost. I think delaying until Q1 or Q2 is fine for them, but they've handled it so badly. Like, I, I don't even... It, there are so many rumors that came out about it. I still haven't seen anything official from from Sega talking about it, and it just well, Drew right. is com- Drew is completely right though. There's a lot of potential to get lost beneath higher profile there, games there right is, now. But I think that there's also a problem with there have been so many games that have that have said, you know what, let's not get buried in in holidays and and slip to Q1. Yep. Now there's ten or fifteen games that are AAA titles that are coming out then. So. Yeah, yep. and all that's done is made it a year-round release schedule for me, and I'm really happy yeah, for it. Yeah, I have no yeah. problem with that at all. Totally. So, yeah, uh, Uncharted 2, Borderlands, I'll buy that. Whether it's on the 360 or the PC, I don't know yet, but play with me, people. Uh, Dragon Age, buying that. <laughs> Assassin's Creed 2, sure. Uh, Super Mario Brothers for the Wii, probably, because Virginia and I will play it together. And Zelda for the nice. DS. Um, but yeah, there's a ton of stuff, and like I said in this blog post, it's going to be a lot of friggin' money to buy all this, but yeah, there's, I mean, <laughs> we're in a really good time now when the 360s, and it's kind of its golden age, the PS3 has finally got their shit together and have a lot of great exclusive games. And they're selling consoles, too. Yeah, yeah. finally. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great time, it's, it sounds pretty cheesy, but it's a pretty great time to be a, not just a gamer, but kind of a... a, a a genre-spanning gamer, you know? Like, well, so, oh, yeah. Grant, I have to bring up one thing that's going to happen to me in the next couple of weeks uh, with games that you're going to think is funny because we used to play these kind of games together, and this is not on either of our radar anymore. 
So do you remember back in the day when EA would put out their yearly sports games? We would buy them and play them together. Yes. So I found out, and you know that I'm kind of into basketball, right? I do. I, I, so I, so I found out that one of the franchises this year, the, the 2K franchise by Take-Two, has a feature that they're building this year's release hype around, which is you can, like, make a player and then, like, go into some kind of ridiculous role-play basketball player thing where you, like, join an online development league and play as your character in, like, scrimmage games and shit and gain skills and, you know, try to get drafted and crap like that. I haven't seen anything about that, and I've been following... <laughs> I mean, those both. I think this is the week that both of those games released, right? I think two days ago. I can, yeah, out. exactly. They always come out yep. in October. The NBA does their games in October, and what I think is bizarre about it is, I can't find any decent reviews of these things. So I thought it would be kind of an interesting segue into your point about games that have great features that are not going to be fully realized. Well, yeah, because I mean, you see that <laughs> I'm totally going to buy this game and try to make a dude and be hugely pissed off when it's not very good. Well, that, mm. to an extent, you see that with Madden every year. Like this year, it's like Madden defense is king. And so they add all these features and then they you see them every other play because this year is the defense year. And so you can't run for shit. And OK, this year it's like, oh, quarterback awareness. You're going to be able to play and you'll be, do first person. I don't remember what they did with the quarterback, but it was just as horrible. <laughs> and so now you can throw for. Yeah, can you imagine when they just. Can you imagine when they discover online, like, the pick-and-roll exploit where, like, you know, five people can do something totally ridiculous at half court and score 200 points a game, yeah. and so all the good teams are just five people doing this completely unrealistic, stupid thing? I think that kind of thing probably already exists in the NBA games. It's just that they, I, I imagine they've got probably 20% of the fan base of Madden, if that. I mean, oh, you yeah. never hear anything about them. And I, but the, I think this is totally new, this idea that, that each person playing is playing a player, and you can have games with, you know, ten guys participating in the game. Yeah, I, I guess that's um, probably true for a sports. Some companies have tried to do that before, but it's been pretty spotty. There was a yeah. baseball <laughs> game that they tried to have a uh, like eighteen on eighteen, which I guess means if you're batting, you just watch. That's the like the worst like sports game to do I that know, with. Baseball, I think. Yeah, like, there could not be less going on in baseball. That, you know, but Grant, what year was it that that EA put out a hockey game with a with a role playing feature, and you and I played through like an entire season as like two players on a hockey team? Do you remember Did that? Did we do that, or was that when we played the Sega Saturn? Is that the one we're talking about? I don't think so. It might be. It, this was a long yeah, time ago remember. in your basement when we were like yeah, that was, in our early. 20s. That was like NHL, like yeah, ass NHL Saturn <laughs> hockey. I think was the official title. <laughs> no, but that was an EA game. It was NHL '98 or no, something. It wasn't you know, EA. Or that's 96. the thing. It was some like weird. I'll have to look it up. But you may be right. But yeah, that's that's crappy. I mean, I yeah. Uh, we enjoyed that. We thought that was a blast, just because we were always the same player. But we do. So, I mean, they, even though it was massively flawed, they never they never stick to their guns with that kind of thing. Like that. That's the thing that I was that I was trying to say with Madden is that they every year they seem to shift focus and like the thing that you really liked their their awesome new feature just either goes away or it's scaled way back because they want to focus on something else. 
But I really do think, you know, before we close the book on that topic, I really do think that sports MMOs are inevitable. The that there will be a decent game one day that that lets people do the wow thing only they're showing up for practice instead of raiding. I, I, and they're showing I'm shocked that it doesn't exist by now, honestly. I'm 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 I figure that EA has to be working on it or something. Somebody yeah. has to be working on it, but I you know, it's two thousand nine and we still don't have it. Yeah, I mean we've you know, you when you get a fully for so long. like when you get a fully endorsed like NFL online, yeah. people are gonna play that. Yeah, I, I I don't know what the what the stumbling block is, but um, probably getting twenty two people to have a, a lag free experience, uh, you know, because it would have to be as good as a fighting game latency. You know? Hey, twenty five man raids. That's all. Yeah, I suppose that's true. <laughs> uh, latency in raids is you can have five hundred pings. You can't have a five hundred ping trying to you know juke a block or something like that. Yeah, I guess well, that that's would be true. an accurate representation of Tony Romo trying to pass. I think. Well, I think the the problem. I don't know is, who that is. <laughs> oh no! There's got to be ways you could do it. It's just keeping it interesting for sixty minutes. You know, I imagine and making it accessible yeah. too. But, yeah. But that's the thing is, I don't know how accessible you need to make it if you're if you're making a, an NFL MMO and you have the ability for people to play right guard. You're gonna people are gonna do it and they're gonna figure it out and they're gonna be like, I'm the best goddamn right guard in the world. I yeah. At I, the same time, you could automate like you know, offensive line play you or could. stuff that you perceived as boring and you could only let people play skill positions or something like that. Yeah. See, I think that's more realistic, but I think the most realistic thing is they're somehow going to make fantasy football into a $60 release every year. <laughs> yeah, especially just, I don't know, it, it hasn't been, it seems like it's been increasing in popularity recently. Is that, is it just my perception of it? Maybe I know more people no. that... It's huge. It's fantasy football has has helped the NFL more than they will ever admit. Mm. Yeah. Although I I don't I think it probably makes a lot of money now, just like ad revenue and shit like that. Oh, it absolutely does. I think that's mm-hmm. totally true. And it I think the Madden might have had I don't remember this year might have had fantasy. Do you remember? What do you mean, Grant? Like fantasy integration or something? Or yeah. There was something with – there's some weird integration with Madden this year, and I don't know if it was fantasy or what. They had – I know they had the, the league thing that was integrated where you play in a league week to week or yeah, something which, which stupid. It felt kind of a, like a half-assed implementation, just like a lot of the things that they try to do every year, which is frustrating because I feel like they, they could do it if they just tried to consolidate all their effort into some kind of working online franchise mode. Um, but they seem to be really good at doing like the online – franchise mode that's that you can't play with other people or that is not quite playing at the same time and there I, I don't know i feel like there's not a big enough audience to to warrant them deciding to spend that time on it and that's sad so i, I it needs to be a new project and let's make it together i think there are enough franchises at this point that they should that a really successful strategy would just be to appeal to a certain you know demographic within the people who play those games and say, we're going to be the people who have, you know, the most realistic physics, or we're going to be the people who have the best franchise mode or whatever. Yeah, but I think that the people, like, I don't know how many copies Madden sells a year, but I'd wager that 80% of the people play it exactly the same way. They're like, they play it as an arc, as kind of an arcade game, you know, they play it in their very specific way, and they don't give a shit about about how 
realistic the running is or whether or not my passing yards add up to something realistic at the end of the game. I think that the only people that care about those things are people like us who are combination sports fans as well as fans of, you know, stats being right, you know, which is sad. I want to see them do it right, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't know. Stats are stat geekery is a is a bigger and bigger part of sports and sports fandom. But I think if you look at the Venn diagram of stats geekery to nerds that play video games, I don't know how much overlap you're going to get. <laughs> well, I tell you, every single one of those stat nerd sports people plays Madden. That's possible. Well, all I know about so if you made a Madden with better stats, they'd be like, "This is awesome! It's Madden with better stats. I'm going to buy that instead." Well, I mean, the only reason I would possibly disagree with that is the NFL is doing better this year ratings wise. And Madden is not doing as well. Hmm. So there's not this 100% correlation to stat nerds wanting to play because I bet we have more stat nerds than we did. But there is a downturn in the economy, and and EA has a history of basically not doing the most innovative products year to year. I mean, I buy Madden frequently enough, and I like them a lot, and I will continue to buy them because, well... They're, it's a football Why? game. Why after this year, though? You and I both bought it, and then we played it for like a week, and we haven't gone back since. Because next year, it's going to be released in the second weekend of preseason, and I will have three more weeks until the regular season starts, and I will want football. It's also a pretty and that dry is, spell for games, too, usually. Right, and it's exactly the right time of year. It's like, I want football. Well, shit, I can't get the preseason football games I want to watch, so I need Madden. Yeah. I'll admit this is half the reason I'm going to buy that NBA game because it's going to have the rosters for the next season and you know I'm going to get to play some of those teams and bitch about how their stats are wrong for each person and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. I mean like it's not even a bad game. If I had a game that I normally play for a week and then I put away, I wouldn't be upset with it. But for some reason Madden I do. That you're, you, like, you're saying you're upset with it if you play for a week and then put it away? No, I'm not. Because a lot of games I play for a week and put away and I'm not upset. Huh. So why is it that I'm getting mad at Madden? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's sort of like the sense of entitlement that we talk about that MMO players have where I paid $50 for this, you know? <laughs> well, it's also well, like it, it, it. it's the difference between a a football game that's that's competent in a football game that's barely above that is is really wide i've i've noticed with madden it's like we we won't let them get away with a lot of stuff uh, drew and i i'm talking about or maybe it's just me just because i i know they can with just a few tweaks it could have been better and so I'm, i get a lot more frustrated with them whereas if another game you know executed one of its features barely not quite as good as it could have i would cut them a lot more slack because it seems like it's See, going to be I think a lot that, easier. I think the reason that that happens is because you are very similar to other people who are playing that game when you're talking about a video game like uh, like Mass Effect. But when you're playing a game like Madden, you get frustrated because they are tuning that game for someone who is very different from you. I guess. Oh. I mean, I can't, I can't really differentiate between it's tuned for somebody who's, who's different than me that from it's just not implemented correctly. I think another th- important thing is football is real. You know, like 
I can turn on the television and I can watch, you know, the Colts or the Cowboys or whoever play every Sunday. And I can see how the game is supposed to look. And then I turn on Madden and the game does not look exactly like that. And it's not even the visuals, but it's like an unblocking scheme. This was one of my problems that, and Grant and Mai's problem this year with it is, like, we played as the Colts and frequently the right guard or right tackle would just completely whiff on a block. And that's something that the Colts don't do very often because they're smart enough not to do that. And that's exactly what I'm saying. You're a knowledgeable football fan, and I think most sports fans are not knowledgeable. And so, you know, if, 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 the, uh, if the developer making the game finds themselves going, well, running isn't fun. Well, they're going to change it until they think it's fun for their demographic, regardless of whether it's realistic, so long as it looks kind of like football, But the problem right? is that Madden made a big deal this year of, we're going to start over. You know what? We've, we've been screwing. We've just been putting Band-Aids over these problems for years and years. This is the year that we, that we really get it right. We're going to scrap all of our animations and all that stuff and, and make it really feel like it's supposed to feel. And it did, but it still didn't work. You know? It's like it, we can't. There's no when we play. There's no pass rush that we can do at all. There's no you know running just does, does, doesn't work as well as well as it could. Now is that our fault? Should we be picking different plays? Should we be running stuff that the Colts wouldn't usually run? I don't know. Why would you make them as accurate as you've made them if you didn't want us to play it the way that it plays in real life? See, I'm getting frustrated now just <laughs> just talking about it. Whereas I wouldn't with other with other genres. So it's not fair. I'm sorry, EA. You clearly deserve it. No, I, I mean, Drew's right. The reason you're frustrated is because it doesn't emulate your real-life experience, and, and that's a really valid reason to be frustrated. Well, I have that feeling as well in Street, in street Fighter 4. You know, I, I, I play Vega. I, I, I feel like <laughs> I should be able to, as a Spaniard who frequently wields a claw, I should be able to <laughs> have the same performance in game reflect what I'm capable of in the real world, right? <laughs> that's your valid opinion. I want to see Grant in a Vega cosplay. You now. really, really don't. You really oh. don't. I do. <laughs> I'll send you the photo later. With his webcam, <laughs> he does have a webcam in his laptop. Uh-oh. You should, you should move on now since we're kind of at a lull, right? I know. Well, I, now that we've talked about sports <laughs> games for an hour, I wouldn't. Be <laughs> uh, you, you can tell I'm not very much of a sports fan because I just kind of yeah, like. Yeah, Leif kind of fell asleep and, and sank into the couch <laughs> over there. Um, it's like what happened with me in Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, well. <laughs> Teach their own. Well then, okay. What, what are your big releases for the rest of the season, Drew? That you're looking forward to that are not games that you're not going to buy. Uh, the the games that I am most looking forward to are Brutal Legend, Borderlands, and Dragon Age Origins. Those three. Why do they call it Dragon so Age I'm Origins? Not- by the way, do we know? Because they wanted to, they like semicolons, man. Or no colons. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's also the origin stories of whatever character race you pick. Okay. Now I know I'm supposed to want to play Borderlands, <laughs> but I don't remember why. Because it's I don't remember what it is really. It's first person Diablo. Yeah. That's isn't, it. That what, isn't that what Hellgate London was? Uh, now, <laughs> I'll buy every Fight. one of them until someone gets it right, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, I, I guess I bought Hellgate London and almost enjoyed it because it was kind yeah. of Diablo, and almost. I guess you got to do something before Diablo three comes out, so. <laughs> and that could take 12 years, so you got to fill that time up. 
Well, Apparently. I, okay, let's let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, Leif and Joe, how do you feel about the release schedule that Blizzard keeps? Do you? Oh, I don't. I think it's awesome because, they, you know what? They could be like, in order to, in order to get one of our games, you have to, you have to pee on yourself. And I'd be like, well, your games, <laughs> your games are consistently good. I've never not liked one. I guess I'll do it. Uh, I don't really know. Are you doing it right now? Any... <laughs> well, not yeah, they really just released know. the. Uh... They just did not announce the release date for Diablo 3 right now. <laughs> Joe P. on himself, I, Diablo 3 confirmed. <laughs> no, but I really don't know if the kind of things that, that people say about Blizzard are valid, where they're like, oh, well, they have a nine-year <laughs> development cycle, and that's why their games are good or, or whatever. I don't really listen to the public about them because I just have an anecdotal experience where I have never bought a Blizzard game that wasn't, incredible so so if their games come out rarely and i guess i perceive that as part of the price of the quality of those games then i'm not going to argue when they start putting out games that i feel are very flawed then i guess i might get frustrated with them but i'd probably just stop buying their games you know right yeah and i i agree i think you know a lot of it is attributed to the fact that they are you know, so well known for having just a a really uh, consistent uh, you know quality uh, you know, for the games that are coming out, and at least from what I've read about their sort of internal process for that is they have a lot of games that they develop and they don't announce and they shit can you know, and that's you know, where other publishers or developers would try to make them into a workable product, they just kind of, you know, let them go and never be spoken of again. Yeah, I'm yeah, they clearly sacrifice in order to maintain this reputation, and I have never felt about any, I mean, not even Square, when I was really drinking the Kool-Aid about Final Fantasy, there was never a studio that I felt like, not only have I never played a bad product from that company, but I have never played a not great product from that company. Well, I th- well, I will say that Square is a publisher, and until recently, Blizzard wasn't a publisher. Mm-hmm. So that does play into it a little bit, in that developers tend to be more... more... Uh, what's the word? Aware of what they're creating, whereas publishers are just much more aware of the. Well, is it line. that they're a publisher, or is that that they're a giant developer? Because you could say the same thing about EA. It's like they've got some great stuff and they've got some crap, and that's just the way. And they're also a publisher, but is that really why they have those problems? Well, I'm. What I'm saying is that, like, look at Pixar. Pixar as a movie company, they never release a bad movie. And they make movies internally that aren't good, and they shit can them just the way, the same way that Blizzard does. But if it was up to, you know, if I mean they're part of Disney now, but let let's say they're a part of Paramount, like, and they're like, well, we have this movie, it's not very good. Paramount might have been like, well, fuck you, we're releasing it. We need a movie in the third quarter. Your movie can be released in the third quarter. We're gonna do it. Whereas Blizzard has the clout, and that's something that they've definitely earned over the years, and it. It's not like they haven't made – they have in the past made games that aren't the most perfect game ever. If you look up a game called Blackthorn, it wasn't the most fun game I've ever played in my life. Hmm. Um, but 
since Warcraft until modern games that they've made, they've just it's been home run after home. Well, run. that's the thing. Yeah, from the moment they blipped onto my radar, they have managed my perception of their profession of their professional you know attributes really really well. Absolutely, and and them and Valve are kind of in their own league. Like, <laughs> well, Blackthorn is I, is kind I, of an edge case too because back then Blizzard did not have the clout to be able to say, you know what, this game kind of sucks. Let's not put it out there. I mean, once they got big enough, they could look at what is it called, Lord of the Clans, Warcraft Adventures, or whatever. Oh. Starcraft Ghost as well, and be like, you know what? Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to do more harm than good to put this out. Whereas back in the Blackthorn day, they, I imagine they didn't really have that option. See, I don't think it's necessarily all about clout, though. It's also about just God being willing to make those sacrifices to preserve your reputation. You know, I don't, th- you know, honestly, I think a company would like to go to a publisher sometime and say, we're not going to release this game, and the publisher will say, we'll sue the fuck out of you. Yeah. And that's something that's not no one's going to do that to Blizzard. Because it's like, hey, holy shit, here's this gigantic cash cow that happens whenever you release your next game. Well, and I I think that there might not necessarily be that much awareness in outside of the video game industry of of how impossible that is if you don't have the cloud of a Blizzard or a Valve. You know, if, if well, I can certainly say that's true. We we do not realize that. I mean, we know that there's a lot of bureaucracy and bad business behind the making of games, and um, you know, certainly, you know, we're talking about Blizzard. There's that ridiculous, or not ridiculous, depending on your perspective, quote that came out recently from the CEO of Activision. You know, about how yeah. <laughs> his his greatest achievement is taking the fun out of making games. And, uh, well, Codex and Nutbar, so, anyway. I mean, I can't. I, I, pretty much. I, I don't understand his. I think he's operating on a higher plane of thought than the rest of us. I think it's. But so what I'm saying is, we fanboys do realize that there's a lot of business reality that creates unpleasant games, but we certainly don't know the details of it. Yeah. Well, that's what we're trying to do here on the Two Versus Two podcast. I think the biggest achievement Blizzard has is they get the time they want. It gets the time they want. Valve gets the time they want. Uh, Epic kind of does. That They have pretty tight release schedules now because they're in the Microsoft marketing machine. Do you think that it really uh, has the same kind of cachet that they used to and that Bethesda is going to, or Xenomax or whoever owns them at this point, is going to say, you know what, why don't you go ahead and take five years to do Rage? Because I don't know anymore. I mean, it's like what? What they haven't done anything since Doom Three, right? Internally. Oh, uh, they've. Besides, like Doom RPG for the. Not that I can think of. They were basically embedded in enemy territory. Quake sure. Wars. Um, they, they were pretty involved in Prey, and they're pretty involved in Quake Four. All right, but strictly, I mean, just it, from a. They haven't done anything all by themselves since Doom 3. And Doom 3, while it was pretty solid technically, it wasn't as well-received as it could have been. So I wonder if if they have the same kind of... I mean, obviously they don't have the same kind of cloud that they did, that they do from the Quake days or the Doom days, but like, I wonder how good of a deal they got with, with ZeniMax. Um, well, they certainly aren't in any league with Blizzard. There is no one other than the most devoted fanboy that thinks id games are have nearly the cachet that blizzard games do yes but i was speaking more to the they get the time they want 
not necessarily the quality of the product. And I, I think it makes really good games, too, so that's kind of a different I think they make really good engines, and the games are kind of like the, the game that comes bundled with a video card. I mean, they're certainly above average, but they're, uh, when, you, when, you, when you put them up against uh, some of the companies that are not trying to develop an engine along with it, I just don't think they hold up as well. And I'm really looking forward to Rage. I, I like what I've seen so far. I think the marketing they've been doing for it is really interesting. Um, but I, I don't even know when that game is coming out, and I, I don't know if I'll buy it, but I'm certainly interested in it. I think the fact that you don't know when that game's coming out means they haven't lost that kind of clout, that they can say it'll be released when we're but done. That game's been in development for for two years or something, even before they moved over to ZeniMax. So I, I just yeah. wonder how much of that is going to change. And I, I think the smart companies know to leave well enough alone. Like, I think Activision is smart enough to be like, okay, Blizzard, you do whatever you want to do. We'll take that however many millions of dollars you bring us every month. And I, I, I just wonder if, if it's going to be yeah. the same. Because I think it's in everybody's best interest to have as many companies like that as possible. Because um, you know, mm. if you, the more you get, the thinner the release schedule gets, et cetera, et cetera, and you know, who doesn't? I think Cinemax is going to give it the same leeway they give to Bethesda. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the same. Just you know, especially you know, with Elder Scrolls, you know, they come out when they well, do. I don't know how much and... daylight there is between Cinemax and Bethesda. Anyway, I think that Cinemax is really just kind of the corporate um, shell around there. So I don't know that they would have any. It's not like EA and I'm drawing a blank now. I have a good example, but it's not like a typical uh, publisher, developer, or you know, parent company, company relationship. I don't think. Yeah, that's true. But <clears throat> yeah, like I don't. Yeah. I mean, it's more like GE to NBC type thing. Yeah, it seems like it, but I don't have any inside perspective on that anymore. I only know one guy at uh, at Bethesda at this point. Hi, Robert. <laughs> So uh yeah why don't you bring here. it with some of your uh some of your main topic now. Oh now the podcast can truly begin is that what you're saying? Well, we're two hours <laughs> I was in. Just saying, you wanted to hit your agenda. I tried and, and you were we, like we, I like football and basketball. <laughs> so I you know I aborted that. Um which is why we've been talking about like <laughs> the cachet. The way corporations control their publishing methodology. Yes. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, I said earlier that I was going to get back to talking about Scribblenauts, and we don't have to spend that much time on it, but I has anybody else in the room played it? I have quite a bit. Um, I haven't just because of the reviews and your feedback. I would have bought it, and then the reviews came in, and I didn't. Well, it, I, the That's reviews odd. seemed to be accurate from what I read. I mean, I, I really wanted to love it. I love the guys at Fifth Cell. They do great stuff. I've met a few of them. They're cool guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drawn to Life didn't do that much for me, but I liked where they went with it. Scribblenaut seemed like an incredible concept that I didn't think they'd be capable of delivering on, and it seems like that's accurate, and that makes me sad. I, I've I've been pretty disappointed by it. Um, I. What is your well, what, what have you thought about it, Leif? Um, well, uh, for the most part, I think the the main attention it's been getting has been, you know, sort of the initial shock reaction. Um, you know, that's what's drawing a lot of people into it. And I think that's what it does the best. Um, you know, placing a game in front of someone and just saying, you know, right words, 
make things and playing with that i think is sort of having this playground having the title screen be a playground a sandbox that they can mess around with i think was the the best decision they could have made um because a lot of people are just going to spend hours doing that and you know whether or not the actual content of the game is disappointing maybe that won't even enter their realm of thought because they're just having so much fun like trying to figure out you know you know what what kills a slime you know <laughs> what 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 you know object can i create that will you know thwart this and you know that that lasts and then it goes away and then you're presented with uh you know series of levels and it it's really hit and miss with me um you know just depending on how well that particular level is constructed i think um some of the uh more like the physical challenge levels where you're like go get the star and it it seems like really abstract and sometimes i have to it seems like i'm almost breaking the experience to to get it the way i want to like uh in that part just kind of is slightly disappointing in a way f- uh to me just because i want to come up with a solution that makes sense and is like aha but rather than trying to abuse the physics of things and you know you know do you, do you get what i'm getting yeah at? no i totally do. Sort of, yeah. I, I felt the same way my, my big question for the developers is you know, we've talked about how ambitious this idea is and how in love we are with the whole concept. And in this podcast, we've talked about some amazing things that have been done by huge studios, like the fact that Blizzard is completely rebuilding their entire MMO world like four years after they put it out mm-hmm. for essentially for free. And uh, so I'm wondering, you know, are, the seeds, are there seeds in this game for... A lot for somebody with much greater resources to take the time to do this and have it actually be amazing, or is the concept just so ambitious that it's not even plausible? I think that part of the problems that I've been experiencing are that things don't behave like I want them to when I do things with them. Like I, if I, if I put a beekeeper in the level and he gets chased away and stung to death by a bee, that's a failure and. There, there seem like a lot of problems like that where they, they, they put almost all of their effort into making you be able making this massive dictionary of words, and you can write something and it'll appear, and that's incredible. That's really cool. And seeing those things interact when it works is very cool. But I feel like not enough of it works, and I don't know how to solve that problem. I don't know if you can throw more people at that problem and have it make a better game. Yeah, that's what I'm right. wondering. Can you just throw rigor at the problem and just make the game for six years and be Blizzard and make something transcendently, you know, evolutionary? Yeah, well, I mean, well, like from a tester's perspective, you know, that kind of project is just baffling to me, you know, how they were even, I mean, most people are baffled by how they even got, you know, that many, you know, objects into the game, you know, in general, but then setting up the relationships, testing, you know, to see what the conditions are for every single object under every single circumstance. I mean, that that's a matrix that is not possible within a any development time you know, time scheme. There's simply no way that, you know, they could have done every single, you know, possible thing and have it make sense unless, you know, they're just, you know, I don't think it's just, I don't think it's possible, but, you know, what they were able to do, I think is commendable, but, you know, as far as having every single thing react exactly how you want to, 
I'm not sure if there is a solution for that. Well, I think it's it's not that I want the beekeeper to have a unique interaction with everything else besides the bee. It's just like I feel like they 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 very obviously broke this stuff down into discrete discrete categories of like this this is a type of thing that can interact with this type of thing, and mm-hmm. I. There doesn't seem to be much wiggle room beyond that. There was a l- so you're well, saying for each object, there should have been somebody should have sat down for a minute and said, "Okay, it's a beekeeper. It's in the dictionary. What are the five most important things it should do? A, it should control bees, <laughs> right? That's basically what you're yes, saying. Yes, as Eddie Izzard so, said. So, famously. are there any levels to have a bee in it? And someone's like, "Oh yeah, there's totally a level with a bee in it." And they're like, "Okay, we need to make sure that the beekeeper." matters if he's used there you don't have to map every interaction mm-hmm. with every object it's just like the most the three most intuitive things that something should do or something like that and you know what maybe they did that because i've talked with somebody at work about it and i think in that same level it's the level mm-hmm. where you have to get all the flowers there's one underwater one up on a cliff or something and there is a barracuda or something on the water and i wrote fisherman and put them on the side and he didn't catch the fish. And I'm like, what the fuck? What, this game is horrible. And then I talked to somebody else about it, and they're like, did you give him a fishing pole? And I said, I didn't think I needed to do that. He's a fisherman. Oh. I mean, what the hell else is he going to do? Just stand there and look like a guy on a fish sticks box? But He's going to catch him with his hands. Yeah, you know? so He's a hardcore fisherman. This could be a combination of they're not doing it right, despite the fact that they did something really incredible, and I'm also not doing it right. Well, here's an idea. How about, you know, how about Scribblenauts is now able to accept user input as far as the objects go? Let's let's say it's like Wikipedia. You know, you go in there, you see a relationship you don't like. You know, you want to try the most obscure thing possible, and it doesn't work exactly the way you want to. Go into this attribute, check a box or something, you know, have a little interface where you can... Have the have the player able to customize their experience by fixing the things that aren't there. You know, is that you know something perhaps that you know might be able to be possible? I mean, uh, when I first played it for a few hours and got kind of frustrated with it, I thought that maybe it wouldn't be better off as kind of a Gary's mod type thing. And I talked to I talked to somebody about this. I don't remember who it was, but uh, like I feel like they did such a good job of making a tech demo. Like that title screen is awesome, like you said, and it's a great tech demo. Mm-hmm. But I feel like maybe they should have gone in that direction with it. Just, just forget about the game stuff. Just focus on the interactions. Drop the price down to whatever. Or obviously, we're getting into the realm of the the theoretical at this point. But um, if you right, think like Gary's model, where it's just a toolbox and people have fun doing that, then I think it would have been a lot more successful. And I don't know if they could have used that experience to turn that into an awesome game. But that well, would have been I mean, cool. judging from judging from how like Cartoon Physics Deluxe started, and how like um, even how Spore. You remember the Spore Creature Creator and how everybody yeah. like wanted to use that for months before that game came out? I I, that could be successful. I mean, I would be interested in that. But then you still have to follow it up with something pretty amazing. Yeah, it's true. I mean, uh, crayon. I assume you're talking about crayon physics and not cartoon physics? Is it? Yeah, crayon. Did I say I cartoon? Know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you said. Oh, my, my fault. Yes, I was I talking about crayon I the physics. same way with that game, but I was disappointed mm-hmm. in it for a different reason. It's like I, I felt like I was kind of cheating to solve things, and that the game exactly. should have like put more restrictions on me to, mm-hmm. to 
to As in, I've discovered the six most effective things to do, and I just do Not them over and over again. Exactly. Oh, yeah. oh. I mean, that's one way to look at it, yeah, but I just like creating the shapes <laughs> that I feel like the level wanted me to do this to, do, to, to finish it, and yet I created this weird shape and did it. It didn't fill me with this feeling of, you know what, I beat you game. It, it, it just made me think, I want a, a, a more tightly focused or a narrower perspective or a narrower play field to decide or uh, I'm not describing this very well, but I, I want there to you be want more restrictions that you have to overcome. Yeah, like we were talking about on the last podcast, you know, like I, I want I, I'm the kind of guy who prefers a more guided experience. And that's not the, that's not maybe I shouldn't even be playing that game in the first place if that's what I want. But that's just the way it goes, I guess. Well, from the I haven't played Scribblenauts, but one of the things that sounds like to me is it's more of a a toy that they tried to make into a game than a game. Like SimCity is a toy to me, and actually Will Wright has said that he makes toys, not games, which is it's a thing that you play with and you make this. You can do whatever you want with, like The Sims. There's no really real goal to playing The Sims. Right. And what Grant's describing and what Gary's mod is is they're much more of a toy. And then you can, like, Scribblenaut sounds like this awesome toy. You can do all this stuff and put them in a world, and then it's like, well, we're going to make a game out of it. And what happens when you do that with SimCity? You make Caesar, which is an awesome game, but I never beat because I just want it to be a toy. Or you make uh, uh, Children of the Nile, which is an awesome toy that they made into a game, and I never beat, but I love the toy aspect of it. The sandbox mode is the thing that, always brings me back to those type of games. So I guess the real question that we're trying to provide an answer to is, is it possible, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to harp too much on Scribblenauts because I think it is a pretty amazing technical thing that they've done, but is there a way to make that a universally well, well I think it's just, game? I think it's interesting that Drew, I, I think Drew keeps saying good things, although he's, he's not talking that much. He, he inspires me to talk over him, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> um, it, SimCity is a really fully realized toy. There's a lot of parts in that toy, and you can manipulate them in a lot of well-thought-out ways. Scribblenauts is a bunch of objects that could form the basis of a really great toy, and instead of moving that towards a more fully realized sandbox experience, they decided to try to turn that into a more guided game. And maybe what would be excellent is if you could make Scribblenauts into a toy that was as good a toy as, say, SimCity. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, it, it doesn't seem like that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out here, you know, whether, it's, whether that's uh, even possible to do. And like you said, SimCity is kind of a, a fully featured thing, and the amount of stuff that you can do... Um, that the game doesn't provide for you is pretty limited. I mean, you can you can yeah, it has a lot of structure to it, even though it doesn't have a lot of goals. Right. Well, one of the things that the Sims and the SimCity do is they encourage you to create your own story. Like the story of my SimCity is I made a farming community that got hit with a hurricane. That seems like totally something interesting for me to look at. You know, the story for my Sim is, hey, like. Those the that one guy who made the homeless characters, you know, he and he blogged about it, and he made this big story about how he made homeless characters in The Sims Three, and 
that's something completely his own thing. And that's and they, told using the game as opposed to when you play Halo, you're playing Master Chief. What Drew said there, because his microphone cut out, is that when you're playing Halo, you're playing Master Chief, and that's that is true. Um, and he's he's dropped out of our Skype conversation. He'll be right back. Um, but so I, I wonder, in that kind of situation, though, is it more interesting to try to make a more open-ended experience? And this is again going back to what we talked to in the last episode. Is it more interesting to do that, or is it more interesting to make a game where the object of the game is to survive being hit by a hurricane? In SimCity. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think you want to. I think an, a point that we made in the last podcast was that you don't want to hit the middle ground. If you're going to do a guided experience, you want to tailor everything that um, you want to really refine that experience so that it's a very specific thing. And if you're going to have a sandbox, you just want to provide a lot of options and structure for those options to exist in. If you if you try and split the difference, you're going to end up with a game that not very many people like. Which I think is kind of the trap that uh, that Scribblenauts has fallen into, and that's unfortunate because I really wish there were more games like that and less, you know, uh, you know, girls' games that are focused on you know buying the right dress and stuff like that, and all the kind of you know the series of thirty <laughs> games that that companies keep churning out for this stuff, like you know all the pets games and and things like that. that when a company does something really awesome and innovative like Scribblenauts, and it's not all that it could be, it's just that much more disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, I'd rather have something that's not all that fully realized, but very true to the kind of experience that it's trying to be, than something that tries to realize more than it's capable of. Yeah, well, me too. Those, I mean, those are the kind of games that you know everybody wants to work on, or hopefully, well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with working in this business to try to to put as much stuff out as you can and just to, to make money off of it. But I think I speak for a lot of people in this business when I say that the, the ideal thing that we want to work on is something that really tries as hard as it can to be as good as it can in the boundaries that it sets for itself. Um, and unfortunately, and that, that's that doesn't happen to as, as often as it should. It's <laughs> interesting to me as a consumer because, like, I will read Pulp Fiction. You know this better than anyone. I will read some pretty crappy books. I'll watch shitty action movies because there's there's something non-interactive and relaxing about indulging in those kind of guilty pleasures, I guess. But I can't play sh- sort of half-assed crappy games. Uh, if I pick up a game that doesn't seem like it's doing what it does really well, I'll put it down very quickly. So why do you think that is? Because they're more interactive, I think. Because you can just sit back and kind of laugh at how something's kind of silly. You know, if you're watching a B-movie, you can just kind of make fun of how it's bad. If you're playing a bad game, that's frustrating you. Because you're trying to do something, and the, the software is messing with you and not allowing you to have fun. And well, so, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. Well, maybe, you know... Well, there's different types of bad games. I mean, there's a bad game where it's just it just doesn't work, but there's also like a kind of bad game like for maybe you know like the uh, uh, Dynasty Warriors series that you know is basically you know it's not that great, it's not very compelling, but it's you know sort of this hack and slash thing where you can just mindlessly go at it forever. Yeah, Yeah. the thing is, there are great mindless hack and slash games like Diablo. Uh So. 
if I want mindless hack and slash, I can find a game that does that incredibly well. Whereas mm. I guess there's no such thing as a as a I guess there is such a thing as a as a mindless action movie that's done incredibly well. So uh, you know, Jet Li movies and and Jackie Chan movies are low budget and, you know, are mostly about acrobatics and the stories are really stupid and, you know, they're enjoyable regardless. So I guess nobody's going to Diablo and saying, man, that is a landmark story about like a big demon and you have to kill it, you know, but, (laughs) but it's still a great game. So I guess those games are kind of the equivalent of, of B movies that are good. Uh, And, and so those games that we're talking about that just, don't do anything particularly well Mm -hmm. are just bad games that don't have an audience. I think the difference between a B-movie and like a B-game is that a B-movie can know it's going to be crap and it's like, hey, we're going to really embrace it. But a Mm B-game, it still takes dozens and dozens and dozens of people working night and day to make it just as shitty as you get to play it. Like, mm. I don't think anyone goes into a game going, we're going to make a B game. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of people, like, if you're if you're going to make a Skinamax movie, you, you pretty much know what you're doing, and there's an audience for that, and you don't need to really, you don't need to really focus on creating quality product. You, you know the formula, you execute it, and, you know, it's on at 1 a.m. on a Saturday. Um, for a game... I don't think people do. People ever go into the into the making of a game and say, "Well, we know we don't have much in the way of resources, and we know the idea is not really that great, but uh, we've got this IP sitting around, and we can probably con you know fifty thousand people many, into buying many, this." Many, many times. Well, yeah, I think, I think that happens a lot, but it's not something where I, I think it's slightly different in that. In, a, in movies, you still have a camera, and the camera works the same way every time. Whereas in a game, you have to reinvent the camera every time you make a new game. And that's one of the benefits of using like Unreal or an id tech software or something like that is the camera's already built for you. And, but it's still, there's so much expertise that goes into it. Whereas like, you know, some rom-com, it takes some some starving artist's written thing, you throw it on a thing, and then you you find Ben Affleck, and you throw in a little Sandra Bullock, and you're like, hey, let's get more of Tyranny 2, and then you make Forces of Nature. But, like, it's just one of those things where it's it's easier to make shit for a movie because there's not the whole, you have to rebuild everything. The assets don't have to be rebuilt. You mean easier in terms of effort, not resources. Absolutely. Like resources are like money. Financially, it takes as much money to get Ben Affleck in a movie as it does to take to make an entire game from like, you know, gas powered games like, you know, I know how much (laughs) Demigod cost and Demigod, which I think is a great game, costs well less than it does to make like five movies with Jim Carrey. So that's an interesting perspective. Essentially, you're saying that even on the shittiest games that have ever been made, somebody's really hard work went into that, and it just wasn't a fully realized project. Whereas you can make a kind of crappy movie that doesn't do all that well, where everybody involved pretty much mailed it in. Well, I mean, you can, I, that, there are certain games that are like that as well. I mean, I think 
that fairly or unfairly, you can look at a lot of the catalog of the Wii right now, and that's what's going on. Like people are taking <laughs> yeah, and the iPhone, yeah, exactly, and yeah. the edutainment, and there's whole sections of this. But like, if you're making, like, look at the Jet Li movie. Those guys probably loved making that movie, but they also went into it saying we can only make this a B movie, right? Like the one, whatever that movie, the one with the. Uh, uh, yeah, I, he, I like he, that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's he fun. Just, yeah, he killed himself all over and over, and it's a really cool movie, but it knew what it was. Whereas, and I think the only, there's very few games that have that sort of self-awareness. I think the Red Alert, uh, the Command & Conquer games have that self-awareness. That Yeah, they do, you're right. Yeah. And it's, whereas, like, if you look at, I don't know, Random Shooter X, that really wants to be awesome, takes itself so seriously, but Haze. has a, a, what game? Haze. Oh yeah, with the that was the, the game with the drug oh. that made people yeah the nectar stuff and right. wanted a message right, and it took itself so seriously and it tried to have this important message and it's like at the end of the day, they probably didn't have the resources to make that game, mm-hmm. but they sold it so they had to go as far as they could, mm-hmm. and like if that happened in the movies, it, it would get shit on universally and it it probably wouldn't even come out because a million movies get made that don't even come out. You know, the the game that sticks with me when you said, uh, in that description of it takes itself really seriously, but I remember it as a really bad game, and everyone remembers it as a legendarily bad game, is Daikatana. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what, what, yeah. else, what else needs to be said about <laughs> I mean, Daikatana? obviously, obviously I, huge amounts of effort and resources were poured into that to create essentially nothing. I, I know some good people that worked on that game, so I can't speak negatively about it. <laughs> I've never played it. For all I know, it was fantastic, no. but it's a legend. No, it was not fantastic. Sorry. <laughs> which is a shame, because then they made Anachronox, which is one of the best games, of best Western RPGs that I've played. and It it was fun and interesting, and it, I don't know, that game was good, yes, it was. and no one's played it. I played it. So you've, you've, you've added something onto my list that I'll go back oh, and God. play. If you haven't played Anachronox, you and Nick would love Anachronox. Uh, except for really? the combat. The gameplay is kind of terrible, but the story is really good. <laughs> very, the story is very good. It's very, like, Tim Sheehan type thing. Didn't I buy this game, Grant, and, like, have. only play it for... Aren't you, like, a blue-haired girl or something? Uh, no, that's Septeracore, but I think you're... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but, no, Anachron- <laughs> somebody has edited down, like, Anachronox into movie form. Um, huh. While they keep, like, the a little bit of walking around in combat, just enough to make it make sense. But they've just taken all the cutscenes and stuff and that and made it into something interesting. So you should probably do that instead at this point. Because the combat, it really does not hold... It didn't hold up, like, as they were making it, let alone in 2009. It's just It, it just didn't end up that way, that good. Interesting, because I've never actually heard of it, so oh, really? that's something to pique yeah, my interest. Well, that's yeah, problem. I mean, that got it was it was part of the Ion Storm <laughs> thing back with Deus Ex and and Anachronox, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I think Dominion was going to mm-hmm. be the other one. Um, Dominion Storm over Gift yeah, Three. Great man, that is. Um, but yeah, if you two guys, knowing what I know about Joe and knowing what I've learned about Leif in the last uh, three hours, because we've never met before. I mean, we should probably tell people that. Uh, First, right. Yeah, I assumed he was Virginia's friend from he Nintendo. Is, yes, but I, yep. I, we have only met just for the first time tonight. But uh, knowing you're you're hearing first impressions yeah. right here. <laughs> knowing you two guys, you would both love that game. So look it up, like look up Anachronox on Wikipedia, and it'll. They'll, I'm sure there'll be a link to uh, to that. But it's definitely worth it. Right on. Um, cool. 
And with that, it's uh, 9 p.m. midnight Eastern Standard Time. I think it's probably a good idea to bring this to a close. There's one thing I want to do before you go because we were so excited about it earlier. No, well, yeah, there's. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> no, one of the things on your agenda was what was the greatest gaming disappointment of all, of your of your like whole gaming oh, career. Yeah, that's right. And that's right. Grant Grant spent about five minutes today trying to guess it, and then guess mine, and then decided it would be better fodder for this it's podcast. True. And I think I think that's interesting for everyone to answer. So. Mm. Yeah, we'll we'll build up the uh, suspense and and go around the room, I guess, if you want. That may be putting too, putting people too much on the spot. I don't even know. I wrote that, and I don't even know if I know what mine is. But we'll get there. Really? So can you guess yet? Have you figured out I what mine is? I haven't thought about it since then. I've been too busy, you know, working. But um, so your first guess was what? It was. Uh, I don't remember. I'll have to look at the IM logs. It was XCOM uh, Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Yeah. yeah. Which which was a bad game. I, I will give you that. And I do love me some XCOM. Uh, but no, that wasn't it. Uh, it was Master of Orion 3. Oh, that game was so bad. <laughs> and Master of Orion 1 and 2 are probably some oh. of my favorite games of all time. Master of Orion so, 2 is still so good. Yeah, it's still good. You can still install that game and play it, and it is... It's a perfectly acceptable gaming experience. The graphics are ridiculous, but it... It holds up. And uh, Master of Orion 3 was so bad that it killed that franchise forever, and I can't imagine they'll ever bring it back. And that's just weird that you could make two games that are absolutely awesome and beloved by their communities and then make Moo 3. And, I, I mean, I wanted to love Moo 3. I anticipated that game for years, and I played it for about two hours. Well, that's I'd, I've heard similar stories about that game from other people. I've never played any of them, so I don't really know. But um, aren't those those four? What are those called four X games? Aren't isn't? Yeah, it's a it's a four X game. But it's really kind of taking up the mantle of that. I would say that Galactic Civ borrows a little too much from Civ to really inherit the Master of Orion like well, it took like spiritual successor. It took a lot more from. Like Star Control, then from Moo. Now, I do like that game, and I have played it, and it was fun. I also think Space Empires, I think it's called, I have it installed somewhere on my computer, is a pretty good successor to 4X games. Um, yeah, Space Empires 5 is now what they're up to. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, I would love to see Master of Orion come back, made by a real publisher, true to the spirit of the original games, not turned into some sort of weird real-time, crappy version. it'll probably be another 10 years before you see that name again. Yeah, I, don't I don't know if you ever will. So Microprose was the publisher. Of yeah. Microprose was absorbed by... Is it Atari? I don't remember. I don't know. Point. Maybe. It, I can never keep track of... Because Moo 3 was, I'm pretty sure, an Atari game. And then Atari kind of... Well, they're in their own little state of weirdness. Yeah, champ, they, their logo comes up when I boot Champions Online, and I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah, I don't... There's So the whole who owns the Massive Orion name, because the Atari name has switched hands like three or four times in the last decade or so, because it was Infrograms for a while, then Infrograms became Atari, then Atari, the name was split to somewhere else, or something. I don't remember it all, because it's like, it's like trying to figure out what happened to Midway. It just confuses me. Mm. Well, I'd, I'm, 
I'm going to cut off all Atari talk because I could talk about them for a while because I used to work for them. But um, do you, Drew and Leif, do you, either of you guys have your most disappointing game of all time at the ready? Um, I don't know if I have a most disappointing game so much as it is a m- thing I'm most disappointed with in my gaming career as far as what I've played, I'm most disappointed in myself for getting sucked into so many really bad MMOs because I was looking for something better. Okay. And there's so many games I haven't played because I've su- I've just put too much, you know, too many hours yeah, into right. trying to find, you know, a, a successor MMO. And it's just, it's, it's, it's fucking moot. It, it's just not going to happen. Play play the single player game. Yeah, it was the, I, I had the same phenomenon happen. I played, you know, I, I got back into Warcraft and I played the hell out of it with uh, with my fiance for a while who just walked in the door, actually. Um, and we played it so much and I missed out on so many games because I was playing yep. that. And once we finally stopped, <laughs> I looked at the queue of stuff and had so much. It was like being, you know, breathing air for the first time in a year. It was just... Please. I felt the same way when I stopped playing WoW. It was like, oh my god, what? A, remember all this stuff I like to yeah, do? <laughs> Drew? Um, I don't know. It's There's probably a multi-way tie. I'm just going to throw out names. We don't need to talk okay. about them. But we have the entire Atari Jaguar. <laughs> wow. We have Bouncer for the PlayStation okay. 2. Sure. Ooh, sure. Good one. Metal Gear Solid 2. Okay. Metal, Metal Gear Solid 4. Yeah, sure. Hmm. And uh, I don't know. There's probably some other ones thrown in the middle there. These are just what come to mind. Like, in Metal Gear Solid 2 and 4 are weird in that. Like, I loved Metal Gear Solid 1, and then 2 you played as Raiden, and then 4 it was like 7,000 hours long. And I didn't even get to the part that I heard was cool. Yeah, me neither. I yeah. haven't played any of those games <laughs> since one. Yeah, the one was. <laughs> is Drew talking? And I'm not hearing talking. Again. He's talking about how he loves Metal Gear Solid. He's changed his mind about Metal Gear Solid Two and Four. And how he really loves <laughs> That's great. And how Raiden is really cool. And he loves that guy in 4 who sells you weapons. Drebin. Lieutenant Frank Drebin. Drebin was awesome. Yeah. My favorite part about Drebin was his shaved monkey. That yeah, it was such around. a great design to say. Oh, yeah. Hideo Kojima can do no wrong, I think is what, what you're trying to say. So, so, Grant, I have a guess for yours. Okay. I think you might get it. My guess for you, my guess for you is Ultima 9. Oh, shit, I forgot about Ultima 9. Uh-oh. Oh, that game was bad. You can throw an Ultima 8, too. Ultima 8 was disappointing, well, but Ultima, Ultima 9... Ultima 8 didn't break him. Ultima 8 was like, okay, <laughs> I can deal with this. It's one game. It's cool. And it didn't really... Ultima 8 didn't get a whole lot of press or anything, and there was a long gap between 8 and 9. Um, I was going to say Star Control 3, um, and... and you know, so that game had charm, and we liked it. It did. You're it. right, but you know, like I said, I I hadn't really thought about it, so I didn't I didn't have a good answer. But Ultima Nine, thank you, Joe, for saving my ass because holy shit, that game was bad. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I've worked with people who have worked on it, and I apologize if you're listening to this. But as someone who wore an Ankh necklace for years because I loved yeah. the Ultima series so much, I can't believe I just admitted that on a podcast. 
Ultima Nine was probably the <laughs> my biggest disappointment ever. So I want a big fucking onk on the page. <laughs> I'll make that the background for the download. There's got to be yeah. like fifty spinning animated gifs of onks that I'm oh, just gonna put yeah. like in a row on fire yeah, with blood dripping off the and shit. Wait, in a wireframe. I have a question for yeah. Grant. How far in Ultima Nine were you even able to get? I finished it, motherfucker. I, I'm not messing around here. How? I couldn't even cross the bridge outside I of... I believe Grant had to restart from the beginning several times in order to successfully it's complete true. the I game. I did get stuck. I did have to go back to earlier saves. That game was not just bad, but also broken. Well, I couldn't even... There was a... One of the bugs that happened in that game is there's a bridge outside of the first city you come into when you enter Britannia, and crossing that bridge, it would frequently crash, and I never was able to get past that part because the bridge just crashed every single time. And I bought the gigantic, like, the what was it, like, three feet tall by two feet wide box <laughs> yeah, with, like... <laughs> It came. It was like leather bound. It was like I'm pretty sure it was made with like the skin of virgins or something. And like it was. Yeah, just, and you're like you buy. You're I, like thank you EA, thank you Origin for giving me so many years of awesome games. And you open the box and it just grabs onto your crotch and shakes you around for a bit. It's just. It was. I you were so angry while you played that game. I mean, it was you. You were devoted to no. There's not going to be an Ultima game that I haven't finished but yeah i did it was you were in a constant state of rage the whole time you played ultima 9 and i we did hate fuck each other it's true and i don't know who won in the end but we're all losers Um, and on that note i think we're going to bring this episode to a close uh this has been uh episode one of the two versus two podcast uh Life should, uh, nice to meet you, Drew and uh, uh, and Leaf. Time to, well, okay, you can finish saying it was nice to meet you. That was rude of me. Okay. <laughs> okay, you're done now. Okay, uh, oh. Leif, do you uh, you already gave the URL of your website? But just in case, I have to cut that entire part out because it was broken. You want to do it again? Oh, sure. It's uh, woodlandalien.com, and uh, yeah. Okay, Drew, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh. Demigod is the finest game you'll ever play. And then next year, I'm sure Supreme Commander 2 will be the same. Um, Demigod actually did a bum rap, and you guys should play it because it's awesome. Uh, I've... I don't know anything about it. Demigod, do you know anything about Defense of the Ancients? Or Dota? Oh, yeah. Uh, so we, it's a similar to that game, but it's a Oh, this is the only multiplayer uh, yeah, there was no like, player tutorial or anything. No, there's there's a t- there's no tutorial, but there is a tournament mode for single player, and the I did the AI for it, and it's it's pretty good. Um, it's the game is awesomely fun. It's the only game that I've worked on that I still to this day want to play. And that's, is it is it matching problems or something that that people didn't like about it? There were a lot of network issues when we launched. Most of them have been worked out at this point. It's totally playable. We've got um, two new demigods coming out pretty soon. Uh, I've been working on them at work right now, and I don't know. The game's just awesome. Like, it's it's hard to imagine me wanting to play a game that I work on as much as I did with that one, and yet I still do. Like, it's. You, you'll never hear an endorsement from someone who worked on a game for two years quite like, I still want to play that game. That's true. 
And that was pretty much exactly what I was hoping for when I was wondering if Drew had anything to plug, so that's good. Demigod is really good. Yeah. We'll buy Demigod. I'll give that game a shot. Why not? Yeah. Joe, do you have anything you want to plug? No, I don't do anything. Like I said. Buy your magic website. (laughs) You've got it up on the website. Oh, yeah, with episode zero link, I do. Okay. Yeah, it's up there. I mean, just put it as a link on the sidebar or something. I don't care. It's, it's hey, not Jeff. like most of the people who would be interested in this would be interested in that we'll blog. Find out, won't we? Okay, so for <laughs> for Lake and Drew and Joe, uh, this is Grant Roberts, Two Versus Two Podcast, Episode One, signing off. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye.